0: This is an original branded podcast from GTM Creative Strategies. The last two years have brought historic change for the power sector. Suddenly there's been a surge of major utility plans for 100% zero carbon energy, and it's coming from some of the biggest power providers in the world.
1: So utilities really are getting serious about decarbonization, and I think it's awesome.
0: Scott Newman is the Group Vice President of Opower at Oracle Utilities. He's been working with top utilities on behavioral efficiency for a decade, and even he's surprised by what he's seeing.
1: Two-thirds of U.S. consumers are now served by utilities with carbon or emissions reduction goals. And over over the last year alone, I think something like 30 U.S. utilities have committed to decarbonizing by 80
0: percent or more by 2050. And in October, another utility upped the ante.
1: National Grid is announcing a new plan to deliver clean energy for the future. In a statement sent to 22 News, the company said the new net zero by 2050 plan focuses on achieving net zero emissions through their gas and
0: electric networks.
2: And I think, in terms of decarbonizing uh, and reducing emissions across society, you can break it out into kind of three broad areas decarbonizing generation or power, uh, decarbonizing transport, and decarbonizing heat.
0: That's Badar Khan, the president of National Grid US. The net zero target includes slashing emissions across its own operations and from all the gas and electricity that National Grid sells. It includes a major new renewable energy business, plus an aim to ramp up renewable natural gas and hydrogen.
2: We felt that if we're going to make a difference, uh, we needed to not only reduce emissions from our own operations, but but also enable uh, the decarbonization of society more broadly. And that's what our net zero plan is.
0: So why this surge of commitments all of a sudden? What's changed? Well, a few things. Public policy is a major driver.
1: Almost half the states in the U.S. have unveiled decarbonization goals. And that is starting to trickle down to utility commission proceedings.
0: Stakeholder pressure is getting way more intense.
1: And executives at some of the utilities we serve are increasingly feeling that pressure from investors. You know in fact one recently told me that he thinks given the current pace of regulatory change it's entirely possible that within maybe five years that investor pressure is even stronger than the regulatory pressure around decarbonization.
0: And utilities now see it as an opportunity to expand. Decarbonizing means growing electricity load and serving it with renewables, making better use of infrastructure, making more capital investments, and partnering with consumer product companies like Google or Amazon to improve infrastructure and better engage customers.
1: You know, As customers adopt more of these products, and as their needs around energy become more complex, if you serve them the right way as the utility, there is real
0: money to be made. Dozens of utilities now have targets for clean energy that were unthinkable five years ago. So where's it all headed? In this episode, produced in collaboration with the Opower team at Oracle Utilities, you'll hear from Badar Khan and Scott Newman about how zero-carbon goals may reshape utility operations, especially how utilities engage and serve their customers. First, let's turn to National Grid's Badar Khan. What happens inside a big utility when planning for a low or no-carbon future? Net Zero by 2050 has a simple ring to it, but hitting that target and doing it with a mix of renewables, batteries, electric cars, renewable gas, hydrogen, and lots of efficiency means re-engineering National Grid's operations.
2: You know, we're mostly a group of engineers at uh, at the company. We solve problems, uh, but engineers also look for, uh, you know, look for proof, look for evidence, facts, figures, to back up plans. And so to believe that that we can achieve net zero requires us to believe in things that haven't actually happened yet. Uh, But instead, it requires us to believe that they could.
0: There is historical precedent for this kind of transformation. Badar looks to the 1930s, when less than 10% of rural America had electricity. Thanks to strong policy, 90% of rural America was connected to the grid in the
2: 1950s. So in the pace of, of almost 30 years, a tremendous transformation had occurred. And when we look at the journey over the next 30 years, we're just asking ourselves, can we make a similar transformation as has already happened in the United States and around the world? And then the answer is yes. And that's really how we got there.
0: So here we are at perhaps the most transformative moment in history for utilities. How are executives like Badar crafting and implementing these targets? And how do they get filtered down through the company to the customer?
2: Well, we start actually with uh, net zero by 2050 and we've been working backwards. What do we need to see by 2040, by 2030, by 2025? And so across our own direct emissions, we've set targets for, for each of those time periods. But inside the company, you know, we've, now that we've been transparent about where we are today and we've set you know, public targets externally, uh, we're setting uh, milestones by quarter. What do we need to see across the different segments um, and all the different sets of commitments we've made. So it's not a side project. It's not an end of the desk exercise or a nights and weekends thing, but it's something that's a core part of everyone's job.
0: Why now? Why this moment? Why is all of it coming together now?
2: Well, we've been on this journey for a couple of years, certainly with respect to our commitments to the environment, um, for, for several years actually, but, uh, but more specifically, we, um, uh, produced a uh, an 80, eighty by fifty northeast pathway study a couple of years ago, which laid out what needed to be achieved across the different segments uh, and I think what we 've seen with our workforce is actually there are pathways that are viable they may not all be super practical today or affordable today, but there's uh, there 's enough for us to believe that we 'll be able to get there and that 's what led us to make these commitments with respect to the environment. I think more broadly across the responsible business charter, we're, you know, we're national grid, and I think utilities in general are, are really purpose-led companies. They are employ people who want to make a difference, uh, who want their uh, who want to make a difference to their communities and their customers that they serve. And so, um, having an agenda around uh, a responsible business is very aligned with a purpose-based company. And certainly, we're hearing investors uh, ask us increasingly around. What are we doing uh, to become a more sustainable and uh, purpose-led business? And so it, it was actually a, a, an, a natural evolution to get to where we are today.
0: What are the practical impacts in terms of the decisions that you need to make as a company that will start to shift your business and get more clean energy to your customers faster? What are those practical changes inside the business?
2: Well, look, we, at the highest level, we, we build and maintain uh, infrastructure uh, that delivers power and heat to millions of people uh, in the Northeast. And clearly the electrification of power, transport and heat is going to require us to build more. So in some ways, uh, a lot of what we do is, is, is more of the same. But in some ways, it's actually quite, you know, very different. All of this intermittent generation, uh, local uh, distributed generation, uh, you know, electric vehicles being charged locally and at different places at different times, demand-side response, all of that's going to require us to manage the grid, manage the system and manage the grid very differently from today. On the heat side, you know, what flows through our pipes to heat homes and businesses Will change, and it will become cleaner. We do believe that our gas uh, infrastructure has an enduring role to play uh, because the electrification pathways for uh, taking the emissions out of heat uh, you know are are plausible we 're promoting them in our different states, but they do have practical issues. We need to be pursuing multiple pathways, and that 's why we focus on biogas, renewable, hydro, you know, renewable natural gas, and hydrogen, uh, either clean hydrogen from renewable power or hydrogen produced from, from gas and, and the carbon captured and sequestered. So we think that actually those are some very real practical issues that uh, need to be uh, solved for. And that requires policy, it requires innovation, it requires consumer engagement, and it requires uh, utilities and other companies to be working together.
0: So let's talk a little bit more about the customer as part of this pathway. What role does energy efficiency and the broader suite of demand-side resources or behind-the-meter resources play in your decarbonization, your net-zero plan?
2: So I think very clearly the demand side uh, you know, clearly plays a huge role. I think as people say... You know, not only is the cheapest kilowatt hour the one that you don't consume, but the lowest emitting kilowatt hour is the one that you don't emit. Uh, So, you know, investing in and expanding our capabilities in helping customers lower their consumption, I think, is going to be, you know, has to has been, uh, and will continue to be a key part of achieving uh, net zero emissions. Uh, You know, our across our customer base, we've invested four billion over four billion dollars since twenty twelve in energy efficiency and demand-side response. To be able to get to what we're trying to get to, uh, we're going to need customers to engage in ways that they have yet to engage. We need customers to actually participate in these programs. Uh, We need customers... You know, We work with partners like Opower that provide actionable insights for customers, and we need customers to receive those insights and do something. Uh, We need to do something different. We need customers to, uh, to actually purchase electric vehicles or find ways to use electric vehicles if they're not purchasing them with all the charging infrastructure that we're going to be enabling. We need customers to actually respond to, you know, a set of price signals or incentives that ourselves and, and the sort of system that's creating value, that's trying to create capture and create value from distributed resources
0: and what 's different today technologically, that gives you greater confidence that you can achieve this goal compared to your previous decades in this business?
2: Just take a look at this year we 've had a global pandemic everyone 's working from home we 're all working in ways today that i don 't think anybody imagined uh, was possible uh, six months ago and so you know there is a, a, a which has been enabled through some through a digital uh, um, sort of revolution. People have adopted digital technologies in ways that I don't think anyone would have done uh, six months ago. So I think that there's tremendous power in that and that knowledge that actually we can do things that that no one thought possible. And it's, uh, it's, it's this digitization of the world that we're seeing, digitization of the way that we run our businesses, the way that we design, build, operate and maintain our assets uh, digitization in the way that we engage our customers. I think that we should one thing we should take from this year is that that as a society and as a as a planet people are capable of things that they never thought possible.
0: Badar, thank you so much. This was a really enjoyable conversation.
2: Thank you. I appreciate it.
0: Again, Badar Khan is president of National Grids US business. Let's dig deeper into how decarbonization impacts all of us as energy consumers. In fact, how consumers are central to decarbonizing utilities.
1: So the hard part is the how. How do we deliver on these ambitious utility decarbonization goals?
0: Again, that's Scott Newman. He leads the Opower business at Oracle Utilities.
1: I think the four key questions that executives are appropriately asking themselves are the following. Can I get it to customers fast? Can I scale it? Can I make it available to all of my customers? And can I use these initiatives to grow my business?
0: Scott is focused on how customers will shape this transition. And his teams work with National Grid to use artificial intelligence and cloud software to come to a deeper understanding of energy consumers and build out that clean energy future. And we spoke with Scott about the role that customers and utilities will play together to shape the future of decarbonization. In just
1: the past few months, national grid ran a new digital engagement pilot including personalized videos that netted grid a click rate 20 times higher than the industry average and five times more daily traffic on their efficient products and program pages they also just started engaging their solar customers with energy insights and advice unique to their equipment and nudging them towards battery storage and this summer our teams worked together to identify hundreds of thousands of potentially financially vulnerable customers so National Grid will probably prioritize making those customers aware of the assistance they're offering. And that's more important than ever with, you know, I think last I saw, roughly 60% of consumers across the US are struggling to pay household bills. And right now we're also working on new concepts for accelerating heat pump adoption in multiple states and influencing EV owners in Rhode Island to charge it off peak times.
0: When a utility comes up with a plan like this, what does it mean for the executives who are making decisions and they need to pass those decisions down to teams, suddenly they have to actually meet these targets, and it means restructuring teams, making new kinds of investments, perhaps engaging in internal venture investments. How do they grapple with these decisions? I guess the way I put it is this is the hard
1: part, but it's also the fun part. These executives aren't just paying lip service to the problem anymore. When utilities who are such a critical part of this movement start to lean in, it's transformative. Throwing down the gauntlet and making 30-year commitments means we're putting a stake in the ground and being held accountable. But these executives are now appropriately asking themselves, how should utilities invest differently if emissions reductions are recognized as a core metric? And that, in turn, I think begs the question of how to get the decarbonization measurement right so that we can effectively set goals and track performance. Before we even think about how we organize teams, how do we actually set and measure our performance? Because that dictates so much of what we do and how we course correct. Maybe, maybe another way to think about this is I was actually talking to a utility executive the other day, and he was lamenting recent conversations with his executive team about the difficulty balancing the need to decarbonize at a time when he was experiencing revenue shortfalls. His, his team knew tech was needed to drive their desired outcomes but the funds they had to get invest were getting slashed by 30 percent and so we talked through two thoughts you know don't presume that accelerating decarbonization and reducing opex spend are mutually exclusive and if you err towards technology that leverages easy digital self-service options for customers you can proactively steer them to their next best action and away from costly calls in the contact centers and so i think the good news is that this executive like many others sees the long-term opportunity in making these types of investments on behalf of his customer base. But again, it starts with understanding the outcomes you're trying to achieve, and that dictates the portfolio and I think the organization that needs to follow.
0: So I followed the utility space for a long time, and I've heard this phrase customer engagement used a lot. And in the early days, customer engagement felt like it was the end goal, right? But what, what I'm hearing you say is that customer engagement is a means to an end.
1: Customer engagement is a means to build strong relationships with your end customers so they trust you and are open to taking actions that benefit them, the utility, and the environment. And so what I think we're seeing play out in the industry right now is that the the ends we're all after, it isn't customer engagement. It's fundamentally decarbonization, which boils down to four notions or four outcomes that matter. Clean supply, energy efficiency, electrification, and demand flexibility. Steven, it's important to realize three out of the four of those are demand side resources, and that's where we're focused.
0: So do you want to dig into those a little bit more? Let's do
1: it. Okay, so let's start with energy efficiency. The
0: role of energy efficiency
1: is huge. In addition to being a fast, affordable decarbonization resource, efficiency delivers a ton of well-known economic benefits. It adds local jobs, increases property values, and protects energy affordability. And this affordability point, it's, it's important. And we can do it through bill savings for customers, lower wholesale energy prices, and deferred investment in new generation transmission and distribution infrastructure. And this deferred infrastructure theme, it's only going to get more important. Just I like to imagine a world, if you will, for a second, where transportation and heat pushes electric demand way up, and utilities need to invest in more infrastructure to meet it. The thing is, the grid thing gets more expensive. And in this world, you can imagine the affluent homeowners and the commercial industrial customers all having solar systems and batteries. So utility sales volumes go down. So there's a real risk inherent in all of this that vulnerable families could end up having to pay higher prices for energy that they already struggle to afford just to cover the cost of maintaining the grid. This is why efficiency is so important as it relates to decarbonization. And to their credit, I think policymakers are grasping this. They're starting to see efficiency as a tool for preserving affordability. New York just this year dedicated at least 20% of all new efficiency investments to income-eligible customers, and I think we're gonna see this spread like wildfire
0: across the US. Okay, so the next one is beneficial electrification. What does that mean?
1: I like to think of it as an elegant solution to our carbon problem. You know, So put simply, if we can convert our electric supply to non-emitting resources, electricity becomes this obvious choice for more of the energy we need for things like transportation, heat, and even industrial processes. And in, I really think electrifying transportation is the place to dig deep as, a, as an example of the types of investments we need to make. The role of utilities in accelerating beneficial EV adoption feels really obvious to me. And we need to be running pilots and building a body of evidence right now that will make it obvious to all of your commissions too. You know, imagine as a utility, you partner with a major car manufacturer. Upon one of your customers purchasing an EV, they're also offered a smart charger and offered to enroll in a rate that is tailored to EV owners. It's all done in one shot. And once that customer opts in and realizes the benefit of that rate, you offer to automate their charging process, which they gladly accept
0: because you're saving them money. And finally, demand flexibility. How is that layered over all of this?
1: Right now, demand flexibility resources can reduce demand when energy supply is dirty and expensive, you know? Traditional demand response can avoid a lot of emissions from your dirty peaker plants. But there's incredible untapped potential in this realm, particularly with residential customers. You know, as consumers continue to adopt distributed energy resources and smart home devices, the potential is only going to grow. And so we can't underestimate the role that demand flexibility has to play in preserving these notions of reliability and affordability while utilities make huge changes to the supply side. Let's let's just um well, let's imagine a future world again. So, picture it, it's 2035, and we're in California. 100% of car sales are electric. That's a ton of new load that can really strain the grid and create reliability issues, potentially even much worse than what the state experienced this summer. And so, as a utility, I think you've got two basic options for dealing with that. With dealing with that, option number one, you build a ton of new physical infrastructure to manage demand peaks the industry's never seen, and you add renewable supply. And maybe you keep some of those dirty peakers around just in case, and you can use them when you need them because they're there. Or alternatively, you can really move and flex those new big chunks of demand to your question. With the right price signals and automation programs, you can move that demand to the valleys in the load curve, making sure all those EVs are charging overnight. But it's not just that. The reverse is also true you can move the demand to the times when you have too much clean renewable supply. Frankly, it is nuts that there are times we're curtailing wind or solar because there isn't enough demand at the edge of the grid. It's so wasteful. And so demand flexibility gives you the tools to use those resources when they're available. So what you get by flexing demand to smooth out all those peaks and valleys is a more reliable grid, but you also
0: get a grid that's making more efficient use of its assets that it's built with. And that's a grid that's more affordable for customers. So let's broaden our scope and think about how this fits into long-term decarbonization and climate change goals. Behavioral efficiency, behavioral demand response clearly works. You've built a very successful business around it, but... You know, shaving a couple percent in savings in aggregate is very impressive on a yearly basis, but how do we get more out of our efficiency investments under these plans that we're talking about? How do we get much further and accelerate decision-making and and get those savings much deeper?
1: 2% savings will never be enough. It simply won't. But here's the thing. If you think about all the other demand-side decarbonization resources we've talked about, whether it's structural efficiency, beneficial electrification, demand flexibility, there's one common thread connecting all of them. Getting the most out of these investments requires behavior change on an incredible scale. If consumers keep doing what they're doing and buying what they're buying, we are not hitting our decarbonization goals. And that's why utilities need to accelerate the adoption of everything from home retrofits to efficient electrified appliances EVs, DERs, peak pricing, automation programs on a scale the industry has never seen. And so behavior means anything and everything involving customer action, and we need more action right now. We're taking everything we've learned, everything we built, and focusing our team on changing the behaviors that will deliver the greatest emission reductions as quickly, affordably, and equitably as possible. You know, Rather than just helping customers save energy annually, we're beginning to help them use energy when it's cleanest and most affordable we're making it easier for people not just to do the easy stuff like buying a thermostat but hard stuff weatherizing buying evs ders and heat pumps but there's one thing i do want to call out here we're doing all of this under the banner under the brand of our utility clients and that's important because customer surveys whether they're ours utilities or third parties all underscore that consumers expect this kind of service from their local utility because the customer gets a utility bill, has a relationship with the uti- uh, local utility, and looks to the utility first. And so this is where I think National Grid is 100% right. We have an opportunity to give customers a single view of their energy spend. Think about it. Nobody wants five different apps for their thermostat, solar system, battery, EV charging, and the utility bill. They want one view, and they want that from utility, and we're working hard on that.
0: And the thing that could accelerate or hinder all of this is, of course, regulation. Utilities operate in um, often highly regulated environments. And I'm wondering if, if you could outline Scott Newman's regulatory wish list. What are the changes to policies or incentives that would help accelerate these investments?
1: I want to be careful here, because this isn't all um, it's not fair to put this problem entirely at the feet of regulators, not remotely fair. But it's also not obvious whether utility is going to be freed up and sufficiently incentivized to, ins- to invest in these resources the way we need them to and as fast as we need them to. So as to your question of a wish list, you know, consider that very few states give utilities the freedom to evaluate capital investments in physical infrastructure on an equal playing field with efficiency and demand flexibility. That has to change. There are even fewer states where emission reductions is one of the core metrics that guide utility investments in demand side programs. That also has to change. And finally, no states accurately account for the emissions reduction value of utility demand side programs. So we at Opower are now doing research to better understand the actual emissions profile and how it fluctuates because Opower's true North Star is decarbonization and my whole org wants our tech to support our clients to that end. But this will really only happen if we get the incentives and the data that guides our work
0: downright. So as we think about the targets that utilities are developing, we're talking decades out, anywhere from 2030 to 2050. A lot can change, a lot can go wrong, a lot can accelerate. What worries you most? What pitfalls do you see going forward as these plans become reality? No, I I love renewables, but they're only one piece of the
1: puzzle, and I worry that too much of the conversation of late centers on them, when in truth, the economics are such that they're largely in flight already. We need to instead or equally focus on electrifying everything. And to do that, we need the customer. So let's focus more on the customer and their role in this fight. I also worry deeply about the economic gap and its impact on these efforts. We can't just let the wealthy benefit from this transformation, nor can we punish those who are unable to make clean energy choices because of the cost involved. We have to address the challenge of equality and affordability in decarbonization. And I worry about things being out of our control if we aren't allowed to innovate and evolve our services. So regulators have to introduce new policies to foster the right innovation and investment. And we need to keep making technology advances that deliver cost-effective outcomes at massive scale. So we all have a job to do to get this right.
0: And what about your hope? What, what is giving you hope?
1: that's a tough question i i am very hopeful but i'm also nervous as hell uh you know there's an enormity to this unlike anything we've seen i don't think it's any exaggeration to say the fate of the planet depends on our actions and so we need to stop talking and start doing the science is clear on this the question is no longer why but how so on the one hand i think what's different today is that the incentives are lining decarbonization can be good for consumers policymakers and utilities. But I think the thing I want to harp on, if you'll allow me, is that I think it's it's equally important to look beyond the incentives for a minute. The, these, these public decarbonization commitments are ultimately being made by people. People. And this, this, this recently struck me when I was sitting on a panel with a group of utility executives. You know, every one of them is a talented business leader. Everyone on that call could have worked in any industry and probably found easier ways to make money. But we chose this industry, and I think that public service has a lot to do with it. This industry offers people a real opportunity to do well by doing good. It's a big part of the reason I joined Opower over eight years ago, it's why I'm still here today. And I'm convinced that a ton of my colleagues in the energy industry right now feel the same way, and it's motivating real action.
0: Scott, this was a lot of fun, thank you so much.
1: Thank you, this was entirely my pleasure, I really enjoyed it.
0: Again, that was Scott Newman. He's the Group Vice President of Opower at Oracle Utilities. This episode was produced in collaboration with GTM Creative Strategies and the Opower team at Oracle Utilities. Opower is working every single day to help your utility build the clean energy future. Utilities around the world rely on Opower to connect with their customers. Opower helps people save energy, save money, and adopt all the clean energy products and services we need right now. Thanks for listening.